the Pulse of the Hawkesbury. Pulse 89.9. We're here on Pulse FM and this morning I'm joined with Rick Stone. Now, Rick has 20 years experience in emergency management at state and at um, national levels, including 10 years as a training manager for the New South Wales SES and five years as principal planning and operations Officer for New South Wales State Emergency and Management Committee. How are you this morning, Rick? Good morning. Uh, very well, thank you. And trying, uh, I think, successfully at the moment to stay dry, but uh, my feelings are, are very much in thoughts going out to those in Western Sydney and other parts of New South Wales who are very wet at the moment and more rain to come. Mm, yeah, well, there is more rain. We're having it today and some thunderstorms, so it's... Um it, it'll be what it is, and then after it's finished, we then have a big clean-up. Look, I wanted to have a chat with you because, one, there's a lot of talk. We did this only 12 months ago in the Hawkesbury, and we learn things and we implement things, and then we can critique and get better and better, we hope. That's the way it's supposed to crumble the cookie. But I, I think sometimes we try to jump into... Well, let's just raise a damn wall. Now, I am bringing that up and I know that probably a lot of people in the Hawkesbury don't want to hear that controversy over it and probably the politicians don't want to hear it or the council. But it is – we need to do something about the flooding and there's people for it and against. Now, what could we do? Like, what, what do you see from your years' experience and on looking this situation – where do you think we could do something? Well, it's a complex question to answer. Uh, You've got two minutes. The, the issue, <laughs> I've got two minutes. Here we go, ready to go. Okay, yeah. so, so the first thing I think we have to accept as a community is you cannot stop flooding. Yep. You can build as many dams as you like. You will not stop the flood. Yep. You might delay it. You might change it. You might cause it to happen in a, in a different way. But, But rivers, systems have existed for millennia and human beings have put themselves into and built on river flats and in and around river systems mm. for millennia. Mm. The interaction between those humans and the river system can be really productive mm. or it can also be really destructive. And the challenge is balancing that out. So the challenge is accepting that there will be some risk from building in and around floodplains. Yeah. And the, the issue for the people who build and who organise building and, and sanction and approve building is to balance that risk against the, the risk of loss yeah. when the inevitable flood happens. So that's the challenge. And it's a really complex question because there's lots of different ways of managing that risk and reducing that risk. One of the ways of reducing the risk is engineering. So that's usually it's dams, it's levees, it's drainage systems, it's building roads in particular ways. Yeah. Another is to say that if we're going to build our homes at a particular point, we build them in a way that makes them uh, resistant to flooding. So when they are under a bit of water, they recover quickly and they're easy to clean and, and they don't rot from the inside, for example, as timber frame homes can tend to do if they're wet for a long period of time. Yeah. So so our land use strategies, our building codes, um, our ability to evacuate people if necessary, our ability to resupply them if, uh, if for example, they're behind a levy system, mm. um, all of these things are, are work together to help make the community more resilient. Mm. 
but the, the fundamental issue is, is one, I think, of land use planning and of deciding what risk is the community prepared to tolerate, is it prepared to accept. Mm. Well, um, and that's, that's the, the important issue. Mm. We, we have, uh, if you are building in fire-prone areas, we have a fire safety or fire code of building. And I don't think we have a flood code. No, that's correct. So it's a bushfire attack level, which uh, if anybody has built a home anywhere near trees in the last few years, mm. uh, you've, you've been required to complete a, a bushfire attack level mm. rating on the, prime, on, on the property and the home. And that then puts some uh, rules around what that home looks like. Yeah. You can do exactly the same thing for flood. We just don't do that. Why? Good question. Uh, it will increase the cost of building. Um, when the bushfire attack levy or bushfire attack level um, scheme was introduced, people complained that their homes would be more expensive, and they are, uh, but they are more resistant to damage by bushfire. Mm. So the question arises from a policy perspective is where do you pay for fixing the problem? So mm. we say in Australia generally that we have a uh, we accept that any flood at 1% recurrence, so that's often called 1 in 100, which is yep. a really misleading term, but the 1% annual exceedance probability, so there's a 1% chance that your, your house will be flooded in any given flood. Mm. Uh, we, we accept that level of, uh, of damage. So if we accept that level of damage, we have to decide where do we pay for accepting that level of damage. Mm. Do we pay after the flood, uh, the flood affects people or do we pay beforehand mm. in the way that we build uh, and potentially in the way that we might raise insurance-style levies for the inevitable flood that occurs, you know, 1% of the time or less. So lots of different strategies for, yeah. for mitigating risk, you know. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of those strategies are recovery strategries because yeah. when the house or the, or the structure goes underwater, it goes underwater. And you know, we see this in Lismore at the moment. The ambulance station was destroyed in, the, in, in this flood. Yeah. So there's a recovery challenge for mm. that community. Mm. But like with the fire, like I'll just align it with the fire because we have a policy for that in uh, hand. And I would assume that because people are building in those codes, their insurance also would be less, I would hope, uh, because they are doing that. Now, a lot of people, they can't afford the insurance. It's just so horrific that it can't be affordable. And so they're building again and like this time, a year later, bang. Now, people just can't afford to do that year after year. And I think that if incentives were given that that could encourage building a property that could withstand X amount like we're getting at the moment, as you said, that, you know, you maybe steel structures, maybe not gyp rock, maybe a different type of structure that's got fibreglass or something that can withstand the water. But looking at that sort of building, if you want to build in a flood zone. Yeah, look, that, those are uh, good examples. So you, you can build homes that are that are on stilts essentially. So you yeah. see homes in Queensland and other places, they're on stilts. So the, yeah. the floor is a metre or more, sometimes two metres, mm. sometimes four, above the ground level. Mm. Uh, that, ho that home is above then. If you, if you put your floorboards above the predicted maximum flood, mm. it's not going to get wet. That's right. If you put your floorboards below the predicted yeah. maximum flood, yeah. it will get wet. Yeah. And, you know, it's only the likelihood that changes. Yeah. 
So, so you can do this, but it's, it's more expensive to do yeah. at the front end. So, you know, the, the challenge with insurance and the challenge with regulation is you're just transferring and moving the risk around. So uh, developers for a long time are very happy to build on floodplains in, and put in evacuation routes and say, awesome, you know, we, we accept that there's a 1% chance that people's houses are going to go underwater, mm. but we've built them an evacuation route, that's okay, put their profit in their pocket and go. Mm. That community lives there for the next 100 years, you yeah. can guarantee that, you know, they're going to get flooded and all of those people are going to say, oh my God, you know, why did you, why did you let me build here? Mm. Uh, this is awful. So part of the, the challenge is making people aware of their risk. Part of the challenge is um, looking at how insurable their property is. Yes. You know, if, you, if you can't afford to insure, it's a bit like if you can't afford to buy your travel insurance, don't travel. Mm. If you can't afford to pay your flood insurance, you mm. probably ought not be building there. The risk yeah. is probably too high. Yeah. So... You know, that's a, a, that's a really difficult thing to say. So there are communities in the US, for example, with significant buyback programs going on to move vulnerable people away from yeah. floodplains. Yeah. Um, there have been some successful programs in New South Wales, up around Canada, for example, to okay. do the same thing. Yeah. They're expensive programs. But they uh, and they work. Wo- but they work really well where, where, where you can relocate people uh, and they're willing to move. But mm. people have to be willing to move. Yeah. Um, if they're not willing to move, then by definition, they are accepting the risk. That's right. There's a there's a, been a, a moral hazard argument about to what yeah. extent does a person who is who makes an informed consent about a risk, to what extent is the community then obliged to look after them mm. when when the inevitable flood happens, mm. even if it might only happen, you know, yeah. in, very rarely. Yeah. Um, that's that's, that's a complex challenge. That is. You know? That is. Yes. Yeah, but and and these are complex political issues that that need to be talked about and they yeah. need to be discussed really openly and that's that's also a challenge. Yeah, and the thing is with the evacuation routes, I mean, they may put an evacuation route in the developers when they do it, but then they go and build on top of those evacuation routes. And I was just talking to one of the councillors, and they said that like where we are situated in the Hawkesbury Marsden Park's been really built out big time. And to try and get down these paths out, even in normal day-to-day life, you're sitting in a, a traffic car park. But could you imagine if you had a scurry of people trying to get out? So we did some work 20 years ago, yep. uh, between 15 and 20 years. We did some really significant work on, in the Hawkesbury European floodplain, yep. modelling evacuation. And there are phases to evacuation. So the first phase is is that community needs to, well, the decision makers need to, understand what the threat is Mm. that takes a bit of time Mm -hmm. the decision makers then need to time to make a decision then that takes a bit of time then you need to craft your messages to the community which takes a bit of time you need to then distribute the messages to the community which takes a bit of time people in the community need to validate those messages check with their friends check what's happening on facebook see what Mm. see what their own reading of the problem might be they then have to make a decision to follow the advice or not to follow the advice. Then they need to pack their car. Then they need to get in their car. They've got to find their pets. They've got to find their pet food, the medicine, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. They've got to pack the car. Then they've got to get in the car. Got to, this takes hours and hours and hours. Yeah. And, and then they've got to get in the car and move. And then you can only get so many cars past a particular point at a time. So we did some modelling around Hawksburn Appian. And yeah. that process takes, at best, 12 to 18 hours. Wow. 
Now, Which tell me, that, do we need to improve that? Well, there's very little you can do to improve those processes. So, okay. so you know, because they, the, the one that you could do your best around improving is is the prediction process or, or, and getting better better understanding of, of uh, getting ahead of what the weather's doing. Mm. But even that is, that's, you know, that's a prediction. That's a forecast. Right. The, Bureau of Meteorology, the Bureau of Meteorology does a really good job, mm. but it's still only a forecast. And you get little micro bursts of, of rain, heavy rain, and that throws their predictions out. So mm. uh, at the end of the day, the Hawkesham European is particularly difficult because it's a fairly, it's a, it's a fast flood. Yep. And you need to start people moving sometimes on predicted rain. Mm. You know? That's hard, isn't so, it? So that's a, it's a huge challenge. Yeah. You know, and, and when it's at two o'clock in the morning, yeah. How do you wake people up and get them to hear the yeah, to hear the um, to. the yeah. warning? Yeah. So the, these are the sorts of real life challenges that the policymakers and the mm. responders have to have to grapple with, and and they are thorny and complicated. Yeah. So so things that you can do to help are to be as a community be really aware of what your risk is. Yeah. Stay on top of what the weather forecasts are doing. Stay on top of what the state emergency service is mm. telling you. Be across, you know, people who might, you know, friends and relatives who might live on the floodplain. Make sure that they're aware of what's going on. If there's a weather forecast for for heavy rain potentially, um, you know, think about how you might get prepared the night before. So if you have to go really quickly yeah. first thing tomorrow morning, that's what you have to do. Mm. So those are the sorts of things that individuals can do, mm. uh, and and to have the little escape pack of all the really critical and important things yeah. in your life that you need to take away. So the photographs and the, the yeah. important records and the hard drive yeah. off your computer with all your, with all your you know, yeah. images and, and videos of the kids, that sort of stuff. Have that packed and ready to go when, uh, when there's a threat. I think this time around that because it was so soon that the, uh, the memory of what they went through, everyone who's gone through this, is still there and it's still raw enough for them to go, oh, my God, and they got into business mode on this and got into it. And I've heard that from so many people in the Hawkesbury that I've spoken to that that's how it seems. And even the SES that I'm in touch with all the time, uh, David said to me that the, the moving of stock was so much better this time around than what it was last time, which freed the SES yeah. up to be able to do other things as well. So yeah. we, we do listen. That's absolutely true. Mm. Yeah, oh, yeah it's absolutely true. People listen and, 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 you know, the better practice they are, the better job they do. Mm. So one of the challenges, you know, that I do um, in, in my business now is to help organisations to practice this sort of stuff yeah. so that, that they're ready. And, you know, Hawks has been quite, in, in some ways, lucky. There's been significant uh, state government exercises for the emergency services about three years ago. Then there was a series of, of um, workshops with schools that mm -hmm. we were involved in delivering uh, two years ago. Then there was a bit of a practice run last year with some, some quite significant damage, but the community, as you say, has remembered that. Mm -hmm. um, one of the challenges is in five years' time, you know, we'll go away from La, Ni from, uh, La Nina to El Nino, we'll have a dry spell, three yep. or four years of, of dry weather and, and everyone will forget. Yeah, that's, that's exactly also right. also a very real challenge, yep. a huge challenge for, for, for emergency services to keep people, mm. get this stuff front of mind. Oh, people aren't, when it's baking hot and you tell them, look, you know, we have floods, they're going to say, bring on the rain. Well, careful for what you wish for because <laughs> when it comes on, yeah. it could just come on too much, which is what we've had happen. 
droughts almost always break with floods in this country, and yeah. that's been the, that's been the history of, again, probably for millennia. But you know, certainly um, you, you talk to uh, Indigenous law and history, and, and they'll tell you that's what happened. What do you see the main point against doing the wall at Warragamba, Rick? So that's what we loosely call the the levee paradox. So by increasing the height of the wall, what you do is potentially reduce the likelihood of the flood. So instead, you change you change the downstream probabilities. It, it means that a flood that had a one percent chance of occurring, let's say a height of ten meters, um, which has a 1% chance of occurring today, put mm. 14 metres or whatever on top of the dam wall, yep. that 10 metre height is not reached at 1% annual recurrence interval. It's reached maybe half a percent annual recurrence interval. Yep. So so the the height at which the... Um, sorry, the, the height doesn't change, but the likelihood of the water reaching that height changes. Oh, yep. Or the time at which it, it reaches that likely, that, that point changes. So, mm. so some one of the things that... You, building, raising a dam wall can do if you leave it empty, mm. right? You leave, this is the problem they have at, Som- at Somerset um, Dam in Queensland. Um, dam- dams do two things. You b- basically build dams to remain as full as possible mm. for water supply, yep. or you build dams to remain as empty as possible for flood mitigation. Yeah. To try and make a dam do both of those things yeah. is really difficult to manage. Luck, so, yeah. But going back to uh, sorry, Wivenhoe Dam in uh, in Brisbane, that's uh, that's a case study in how difficult it is to manage a dual purpose dam. Mm. Um, and you can see in Brisbane that they still get the bad flooding mm. downstream. They might get it a day later, mm. but they still get the bad flooding. Mm. So so the risk in raising the dam wall is that people go, oh cool, I'm not going to get flooded anymore, simplistically and incorrectly, and they start to increase development on the floodplain below. Oh, okay. So what you actually do is in, you reduce the likelihood, sure. Yep. But you actually increase the consequence because you because there are more people, there are more assets, yep. there's more at risk mm. downstream. Mm. And there's huge pressure in Western Sydney in particular to, to intensify building. Mm. And and to increase the numbers of people that you put in or near the floodplain, and mm. to you know to simplistically say building increasing the height of the dam wall reduces the risk, mm. it reduces likelihood, mm. but will do nothing for or possibly increase consequence. Mm. So it doesn't act. You know, in, in, in technically yes, that does reduce risk. Doesn't doesn't reduce it to zero though. So yeah. reducing your risk from one percent of, of of losing your property to half a percent likelihood of losing your property. I don't know that too many people are you know, actuaries are interested in those numbers, but mm. for the person that loses their property, they still lose their property. That's right, and I think that's interesting that it's been exercised elsewhere, and that from what you said, that people started to build houses there. That to probably do the job in a better way, maybe not to build, to still make it a no-build zone, but that would make it work better, wouldn't it? There are plenty of land uses that we can continue to, to, to make the land productive. Yep. So, you know, um, there are a lot. Of, I know there are a bunch of turf farmers who are really, really unhappy at the moment yes. because, yes. you know, their turf is flooded and they yep. can't get it off and they can't sell it and, and it's, a, it's a pain and it takes quite a long time to recover. And they've just recovered. But it's turf. Mm. It'll recover. It'll recover, right? Um, yes, it's annoying and it's expensive and, you know, 
but it will recover in a relatively short period of time. But rebuilding two or three thousand homes takes years. Yes. And we see this with bushfires. You know, we will see this in Lismore and the north coast and northern yeah. rivers of New South Wales, yeah. where where community recovery from that sort of, of structural damage yeah. takes years or really a decade or more. Yeah. So, you know, land use decisions are how, as a society, we create risk because we put people at risk by putting them in or near yeah. places where there are hazards and yeah. the river and heavy rain is a hazard. Yeah. We know it's there. As a community, we need to make decisions about how much of how much we're prepared to accept and tolerate yeah. uh, in terms of the risk and how much damage and, and how we how we support people if we put if we allow them to build there, mm. how we support them when the inevitable flood happens. Mm. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you, and I look, I appreciate you taking the time this morning to have a chat with me, and I'm sure that the rest of the community in the Hawkesbury also is. Well, has been interested in what you've said because there's so much said and to hear it like from yourself who's got so much knowledge in the area it's it's good it gives gives starts a conversation and robust conversation is really really important um and it is important to have these conversations while while people are focused mm. um i think the but the really important thing for for your listeners in the next the next few days is to really keep an eye out on what the weather's doing, listen to those messages from the State Emergency Service and other yeah. emergency services, yeah. keep themselves safe, yes. uh, look after one another. Yes, agree, and um, try to stay off the roads as much as possible because they are deteriorating and they're causing problems as well. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think we've mo- many of us have become pretty good at working from home over yeah. the last couple of years. So yeah, we've had I a trial should, run I on that. Stay- yep. <laughs> I suspect we're pretty good at it and we should encourage people to, to, to do so if they're safe. Yeah. Uh, but uh, if, if they need to move, if they need to go, you know, if you need to go, you need to go and you need to go early. It's the same advice that we give to bushfires. Mm, uh, get out. If you need to go, go early. Mm. And um, the difference between a bushfire and a flood is you can't fight a flood. No, no, that's so true. You have to literally go with the flow on that one. Um, okay, look, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And um, maybe we'll catch up later down the track and have another chat about this. And, um, My pleasure. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Rick. Look forward to it. Stay well, stay safe. Okay, you too. The Pulse of the Hawkesbury. Pulse 89.9. 89.9.